Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you go. Here you go. Cold-blooded. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. Cold-blooded is exactly what the Arizona Diamondbacks were as they went into Philadelphia and won a Game 7 on the road. An unlikely result when everyone in the country thought the Phillies would win this series, including me. Everyone in the country when the Phillies won the first two games at Citizens Bank Park and everyone said no one can win there. This series is over, including me. Phillies in five was a dream that was coming true. Please just lose game three so I can get my prediction right. That was my thought only a week ago. The Diamondbacks did win that game three. Done. Phillies in five. Nope. Diamondbacks win game four. We're tied at two. All right, Phillies in six for sure. But they got to get game five in Arizona, which they will because Arizona's not going to sweep the Phillies at, at home. Game five happens. Phillies win. They're up 3-2. Everything's right in the world. The Phillies are going to get a chance to re- repeat as winners of the National League pennant, go to the World Series, and take the next step. In the meantime, I get into it with Philly fans. No problem. Game six, this is the easiest pick of all time. Phillies over the Diamondbacks. Nope. Diamondbacks win game six and tie the series. And me, David Sampson, who does Picks of the Day, sponsored by Wait to See, I do what I never do. And for those of you who reached out at David P. Sampson on Twitter or reached out through our website, David Sampson Podcast, you're right. I'm stubborn. When I have a pick, that's my pick, and I'll ride it all the way through a series like I did with the Astros. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I changed my mind last night before the game started and on this show, and I said, you know, I'm going to pay attention to the Diamondbacks because I'm not going to forget The Marlins from 2003. The Marlins who 20 years ago today won a World Series. I'm not going to forget what it is to be young and scrappy and to have no care in the world and to be able to go on the road in a game six and seven where no one can win, where you shouldn't win and win six and then finish it off by winning seven. Just like the Marlins went into Wrigley Field in the National League Championship Series on the road down 3-2 and won game six, and then won game seven. Why can't the Diamondbacks? So the Diamondbacks get chosen by me, which was an unpopular pick. Over 80% of the money bet on the game last night was on the Phillies. I can't be right, can I? Let's go to the top of the first inning. How about this? 
Marte, leadoff hitter, strikeout. Ranger Suarez, the pitcher for the Phillies, he looks good. Everyone's excited. At the bank, they're cheering. The number two hitter, Corbin Carroll, hits a single. The rookie, the rookie of the year, Corbin Carroll, who had had a terrible series until last night. He gets a single in the first inning. Everyone's fine. It's a single. It's not going to be a no-hitter, but no problem. Suarez doesn't give up runs. Next hitter, Gabe Moreno. Yeah, that guy that was traded by the Blue Jays for Dalton Varsho. Yeah, that one. Along with another player that mattered in yesterday's game and on this team, Guriel. But I digress. Gabe Moreno, not a rookie, but this first full year, he's a kid. Single. All of a sudden, their cleanup hitter's up. Suarez has two men on, one man out, and Christian Walker hits a ground ball. That scores a run. And just like that, the Arizona Diamondbacks are winning game seven, one to nothing. The crowd quiets down, but there's 27 outs to go. It's not like the Rangers-Astros game the night before where the Rangers scored three and you got the feeling that there was panic in the air at Enron. At, oh, whoa. Three, eight, 69. It's not like the night before when the Rangers got three runs and there was panic in the air at Minute Maid. This was Citizens Bank, one nothing, no problem. Until the Phillies couldn't score. They get a home run by Bohm. Outstanding. They get an RBI double by Stott. Fantastic. Winning two to one. The crowd goes wild. The Diamondbacks look not panicked. Confident? Fine. Their manager sitting with his arms crossed, Tori Lovello, looking at his men with confidence. We've got this. Corbin Carroll had it. The rookie of the year, Corbin Carroll. Three hits, two stolen bases, drives in a run, sacrifice fly. Before you know it, it's not 2-1 Phillies. It's 4-2 Diamondbacks. But there's innings to go. Philly fans are quiet. Not quite booing, they'll get to that. Waiting for the time when their offense wakes up. Waiting for the troika of Schwarber and Turner and Harper to do something, anything. The way they do when the Phillies win and the way they don't when the Phillies lose. One after another, a bullpen arm comes out of the Diamondbacks wearing the snake on the jersey. I've never heard of that guy. Who the hell's that guy? I don't know who that is. What a wonderful thing. People didn't remember, and I was in CBS studio last night, and there were people saying to me, who are these guys? I've never heard of the Diamondbacks. They can't be this good. And then I reminded them what the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen was always like when they would make it to the World Series or the LCS with a bunch of players no one ever heard of. They had one thing in common. They were good. So in comes a parade of bullpen arms and the Phillies are getting no traction at all nothing and by the time you get to Kevin Ginkle Kevin Ginkle who the hell is Kevin Ginkle the best eighth inning reliever in baseball that's who Kevin Ginkle is how about nine innings pitched six hits no runs 13 K's two walks you can't score on him Kevin Ginkle comes in in the seventh, gets the most important out of the game. 
because Citizens Bank Park, no one's leaving yet, not like the Houston game. Because if you've got Bryce Harper at the plate, you know you've got a chance. Just get a runner on base. Let him tie the game. That's all we want. And then Bryce Harper comes to the plate, not with one, but with two runners on. Bryce Harper has a chance to not just tie the game, but to bring the Phillies back to the World Series. He looks at Kevin Ginkle. Kevin Ginkle looks at him, not shaking in his shoes, not nervous, not grabbing the ball and letting go late. Pitcher, side note, Coca. You know when pitchers are overwhelmed by the moment when they lose their command, and they lose their command when they lose their release point. And you lose your release point if you hold on to the ball too short or too long. It sounds crazy, but you have to release the ball at the exact same point in order to get the pitch where you want it and to spin how you want it. And when you see wild pitches or when you see curveballs that are in the dirt, we call them like 58-footers that bounce before the plate, it just means they're being released at the wrong time in the wrong place. Not Kevin Ginkle. Kevin Ginkle, no moment's too big for him. He releases a high fastball. Bryce Harper doesn't get it. Fly out. The Philly fans look because they were expecting Bryce Harper to get it done. Bryce Harper will tell you after the game, I let myself down. I let my team down. I let my city down. I should have gotten it done and I didn't get it done. Because the advantage is always going to be to the pitcher. Because hitters don't hit 700. They hit 300 or 400. That means three out of 10 times, four out of 10 times. The majority, the pitcher is going to win. It just doesn't always feel that way. So after the seventh inning where Ginkle comes in and gets that out, he comes back out in the eighth and Ginkle goes one, two, three. The Philadelphia Phillies are three outs away from being eliminated. Who's Arizona going to bring in? Do they bring in Zach Gallen, their number one starter? We've very common where you have starters finish games in the postseason. No. How about the trade deadline acquisition that no one talked about, including me from the Seattle Mariners? Some guy named Paul Seawalt. Yeah, he was pretty good for the Mariners, and the Mariners were in playoff position, but for whatever reason, guess what? They traded him to the Diamondbacks. And he comes to the Diamondbacks, and he's good, but still, no one's heard of him. It's the Diamondbacks. So here's what Paul Seawalt's done this postseason. Locked it up. Eight innings pitched. Three hits. Donut. No runs. 11 strikeouts, one walk. Does that sound familiar? When you have an eighth and ninth inning tandem that goes 17 innings with nine hits and no runs, 24 Ks and three walks, here's what's going to happen. You're going to win a lot of games. You're not going to blow saves. The other team has so much pressure to score before the eighth. Do you remember what it's like to have lockdown end of bullpen with players you had heard of? Like when a Chapman is at his prime? The game's cut short, and that's what the Diamondbacks have been able to do. And they win game seven. Corbin Carroll gets a fly ball to right field to end the game by a pinch hitter, Jake Cave, and he smiles as the ball is coming down, knowing that they had come back and done the improbable. Unless you listen to nothing personal. Where not only did I pick the Diamondbacks, but I've been telling you for a week and a half a stat that is the craziest stat of all time which is any team that beats the Milwaukee Brewers in the postseason wins the pennant. It's insane. And it's true. The Diamondbacks swept the Brewers in the wild card. You may not remember it. It was a month ago, three weeks ago, 22 days ago. 
But once they beat the Brewers, that's it. It was written in the stars. Excuse me. Thank you. Did I get that mute in time before the sneeze? It was written in the stars that the Diamondbacks would beat the Dodgers and then beat the Phillies. Corbin Carroll, with one of the great Game 7 performances of all time, he seeds the MVP trophy to Marte, who struck out four times, but still is the leader, the longest tenured Diamondback. Had a great series, hit over 300. He had the walk-off that got the Diamondbacks back in the series. And the only people who were surprised were the Phillies fans because they weren't paying attention. They weren't paying attention to what was going on with Harper and Schwarber and Turner. They weren't paying attention to the fact that those three, when all they needed was one win at Citizens Bank to keep that fan base happy, to get the Boo Birds away, and to show once again that Philly fans are the greatest, they went one for 20. Bryce Harper in the four losses in this series, donut. 0 for 12 with four walks. We told you the keys to the game, both on CBS Sports, HQ, pre and post game, and also on Nothing Personal. There's a player on a team, you don't let them beat you. The Diamondbacks decided that Bryce Harper was not going to beat them. Because Bryce Harper, when the Phillies won three games, he was hitting just under 500. He went five for 11 with two home runs, scored five runs. That's letting the player beat you. They locked it. So then you have to go to the clubhouse and you got to hear what the Phillies have to say. Bryce Harper continued to be a leader. He continued to prove to me that he has become the type of player who exactly you'd want on your team. And he wore it and he wore it correctly. He didn't do an Alex Bohm throwing his bat and breaking his bat and all that eyewash when Bohm made the out in the eighth inning. Remember that when he ripped his bat in the dugout, throwing shards everywhere? I hated when players did that. I really did because wood chips get everywhere. And then the broken bat you have to give to Major League Baseball because they examine how did it break. Normally when it breaks at the plate, that's when they want to really test it because they don't want shards going everywhere. But even when players go crazy, it goes to MLB. He goes crazy. His bat breaks everywhere. Dude, give me a break. Sit down. Take a look at Harper. Harper makes out, goes to the dugout, understands this is baseball. And he said it. He said, I just missed it. Not being able to come through in that moment. He's talking about the seventh inning. Just devastation for me. I let my team down. I let the city of Philadelphia down. I've got to come through. I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have gone out there and had that big hit. I couldn't have scripted a losing quote better than that because he's right and then they went to Nick Castellanos he took a donut he got one hit when the LCS started game one maybe his first at bat in the LCS and guess what he did after nada Ofer. he said we underachieved as a team it's a frustrating way for the season to end that's not it. The Phillies didn't underachieve. Nobody underachieves by going to game seven of the LCS. It's disrespectful to the Diamondbacks to say you underachieved. 
Now, was your goal to get back to the World Series the way you did last year and take it the next step and win the World Series? Of course. Teams don't often repeat as World Series participants. Now, they looked back at the Royals who made it to the World Series, lost, then made it back and won. There are many opportunities to look at a team who's had a run of success with LCSs. I get it, but that's not underachieving when you don't achieve that. The expectation up to nothing, I'm better with that. When you're up to nothing, you can't close a series down when the odds are in your favor. 36 out of 39 teams up to nothing win 80%, whatever the number is. Number of teams who lose game six and seven at home when you come home up 3-2 the way the Cubs did. It doesn't happen often. I'm good with saying that we blew it. I'm good with saying we had a great opportunity to get back to the World Series and didn't take advantage. But don't tell me you underachieved. So the Diamondbacks get to get on a plane today. And they're not going all the way cross country to Phoenix. They're only going halfway. They're going to get to Arlington today. And then they're going to have a workout tomorrow. And then they're going to play game one of the World Series Friday night. We will have a full preview of the World Series on Friday's show with our predictions, with our picks. For those of you who are going to read all over today, all the tweets and all the comments, what a nightmare World Series this is for Major League Baseball, for Fox. What a disaster having Phoenix and Texas, two wildcard teams, two teams that no one cares about. Fox and MLB are good. Would they have preferred Yankees-Dodgers? Yes. Would they prefer the Phillies over the Diamondbacks? Yes. Would they have preferred the Astros over the Rangers? Debatable. It's more 50-50. The Astros are the villains. There's a lot of attention on them, but it's new blood is good. But once a series is decided... MLB and Fox lean in and are going to tell stories. And you are going to learn stories by watching the World Series about these Diamondbacks players, about these Rangers players, about the money the Rangers spent, about the payroll size of the Diamondbacks and how small it is and how they've succeeded. I can't wait for all of you to learn these stories and learn these teams because they're fun and it's going to be one hell of a series. Okay. Before we go to uh, something else that I'm going to talk about, because today's October 25th, I learned something once I was done in baseball in 2017, and I knew I was going to join the media side. And I met Coca, and we started to get to know each other, and then he became the producer of Nothing Personal, which debuted on October 14th of 2019. A couple things that you just need to know. When the red light's on, people are listening. Even if you think your audience is five people, it's not. And you have an opportunity to have every day be your last. No self-inflicted wounds. That's the lesson. Don't ever ring a bell that you can't unring. Don't open the tube of toothpaste, squeeze it out, and try to get the toothpaste back in. I mean, I could draw this out. I could give you five more, five more of these. 
What am I talking about? Chris Mad Dog Russo. That rat bastard, he came out before game six. Now, regardless of what you think of him as a personality, as a talent, my issue with him always was only as a MLB executive. I didn't think that he was necessarily nice to teams that I was a part of and other teams that other friends of mine were a part of. But be that as it may, Chris Russo comes out before game six and says, if the Diamondbacks win game six and seven, I will retire. He actually said that. That's a violation of Coca's lesson number 69. You never say something unless you're prepared to do it. Don't make a promise unless you're prepared to follow through. Don't say, if the Diamondbacks win game six and seven, I will do the show naked. I mean, that sounds funny. Unless you're not willing to do the show naked and then you look like an idiot. Remember when I said, COVID, we're going to grow beards until this game starts up again. Coke and I talked about it and we were both willing to grow beards regardless of how it was going to look. And I wish that you could see a picture right now if you're watching on YouTube. We maybe have one for tomorrow of what it looked like when Coke and I had full beards because MLB was shut down because of COVID. That's a promise you can make and you can follow through. But to promise you're going to retire, well, the odds of Diamondbacks winning game six and seven, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. This is sports. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is not scripted. You can't control it as much as umpires can try, as much as leagues can have desires. Guess what? The Diamondbacks won six and seven. I'm waiting for a statement from Chris Russo. I'm waiting for him to tell you I was kidding. I'm waiting for him to tell you, oh, I didn't say how long. I'm going to be retired for a day. Maybe he had a week vacation planned anyway. I find it to be complete horse hockey. If you're going to say something, do it. Otherwise, what credibility exactly do you have? So we'll find out. All right, next. Ooh, Coca. How about some music, please? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. I want to give a thank you to all the people with all the questions on davidsampsonpodcast.com. All the merch that you're buying, thank you. Uh, Coca, we got our first tweet of someone who got a sticker and the sticker was not, it, it, it broke or tore. There are ways to get to me through the support part of the website, David Samson Podcast. But also if you tweet at me, there's a chance I'll see it, but not a guarantee. So make sure you go to davidsampsonpodcast.com with a complaint and we'll deal with it. So we sent, we sent him a new sticker. He sent a picture of the torn sticker, Coca. No problem. We took care of it. What I appreciate about this audience and how loyal you are and how engaged you are is one of you, you were on it. You knew that 20 years ago today, we won the World Series. October 25th, 2003 was a great day. So you want to talk to Samson when he asked me a question. And how did you know that I would choose this one? Hi, Dave. Not my favorite start. I would prefer Hi, David, but there you have it. I watched the Marlins win the World Series in 2003. What is your favorite memory of that postseason? And does the fact you never won again make it sweeter or more sour? It's a great question. I've been asked a lot of questions over the years about the World Series. 
This is a this is a good one. I'm gonna go right to it. I don't want to waste another second. Twenty years ago, October twenty fifth, Josh Beckett pitched a shutout, a complete game. And we beat the Yankees four games to two. We didn't need a game seven. We went to game six and seven up 3-2 as opposed to the series before when we went to Chicago down 3-2 for game six and seven. For those who remember that Marlins postseason run, we had three different winning streaks of three games. We were down one nothing to the Giants, won three straight, beat them three to one. We were down 3-1 to the Cubs, won three straight, won four to three. We were down 2-1 to the Yankees, won three straight, 4-2 for the ring. I think about that almost every day. I will speak to Jack McKeon today on the anniversary. We speak every October 25th, and we reminisce about the fight that we had on October 24th. It never got public, but I told him that under no circumstances could he start Josh Beckett in Game 6 that we're not doing it on short rest. He's a young arm, and we don't want there to be a problem. And Jack McKeon told me to shove it. And this was not a quiet fight. This was a fight in front of the team. We tried to keep it quiet. Jack McKeon's wife, Carol, got in the way. And it wasn't a fist fight. We don't do that. We were having a very loud conversation. Jack McKeon prevailed. Josh Beckett started, and the rest is history. And every October 25th, he reminds me of that. Every October 25th, I speak to Jeffrey Loria and thank him as owner of the team. I speak to Larry Beinfest every October 25th. I speak to Michael Hill every October 25th. We combine to do something extraordinary and rare. It's hard to win a World Series. It informed the rest of my career because all I wanted was to feel that feeling again. That feeling, I was addicted. The minute I had champagne in my eye, goggleless. That sting, I wanted it again. Chased it the rest of my career. 14 more years, never got another douse of champagne. The fact that I never won again, it makes the 2003 World Series even sweeter because I'm surrounded by people in the regular world who've never won a World Series. They've never been a president of a team. And you wanna talk about satiating ego. When you're inside the game and you're around people, oh, I've got four rings, I've got three rings, I've got one ring. I make this amount of money. I've had this amount of success. You're in the same industry. It's hard to gain perspective. I've been out of the game since 2017 and it's become quite clear. Having one World Series ring, it's a damn good talking point. It's part of your resume forever. So would I have been excited to win two rings? At the time, I was obsessed. But now, in my next chapter, as host of Nothing Personal, one ring, that's better than almost everybody else who's got a podcast. So the answer is, it makes it sweet. It's part of the narrative. My favorite memory of the entire postseason it's impossible to make it one, but you asked, so I will. And my favorite memory involves the clubhouse at Wrigley Field. I loved celebrating winning the pennant more than celebrating the World Series, by the way. Side note, winning the pennant in game seven in Wrigley Field was more unreal than winning game six in Yankee Stadium. It sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. 
but that's not the memory. The memory that I have is of a catcher named Mike Redmond who became our manager. And for nothing personal fans, you may have heard this before, but there's so many new listeners. Thank you so much. Please keep spreading the word. In game six, we were down three to two in Wrigley. Mark Pryor was shoving it up our keister. And I went to the clubhouse to practice what my speech would be to the team. Having made the playoffs, having beaten San Francisco, who had won 100 games that year with Barry Bonds, who were the favorite to win the World Series. And then a valiant effort against an unbelievable Cubs team. And I'm in the clubhouse and I'm just thinking about it. I'm sort of mouthing words. And Mike Redmond sees me in the clubhouse and tells me, get the f- back to your seat. He was loud, he was angry, and he was pissed. He said, we will win this game. We were down three to nothing in the eighth inning. And so he made me go back to my seat and I got back to my seat and I saw the Bartman play and then I saw the eight run eighth and then we won game six. I go back into the clubhouse after the game Everyone's just looking around. I lock eyes with Mike Redmond, our catcher, who would become our manager, who's still in the game. And I looked at him, he looked at me, and he gave me that crooked smile that he has. And we didn't say one word to each other. He smiled at me, I smiled at him, and we went back to the hotel to get ready for game seven. That is the number one memory of that entire postseason. Because what are the odds of an eight-run eighth in Wrigley Field? All right, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about the San Francisco Giants, the San Diego Padres, and something that took place yesterday that shouldn't shock you, except it made me smile. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How are you? Thank you for being with us. We still have 15 minutes to go, and I haven't spoken about A.J. Preller yet. Somehow the Padres made the news on a day that there was a Game 7 that didn't involve them. Keep it zipped. You're leaking out that there's a major announcement in San Francisco don't like it. I don't want to hear from the Giants. I don't want to hear from the Padres. I want the focus on the Diamondbacks and the Phillies. But word gets out that there's a big announcement coming out of San Francisco. I wonder what that could be. Bob Melvin is going to be named the manager of the San Francisco Giants today. Bob Melvin is the manager of the Padres. Not anymore. Bob Melvin lost the power struggle to A.J. Preller in the biggest upset of this postseason. Now, smart people say, David, that's not an upset. You know that the owner, you told us, the owner is committed to A.J. Preller, the GM. Somehow, maybe there's photos in a drawer. Whatever there is, there's a level of commitment that makes a 50-year-old marriage look like nothing. 
Preller's got nothing done with the Padres whatsoever, goes manager to manager to manager, and keeps surviving underperformance. It's incredible. He's got more job security than a Supreme Court justice. Running Bob Melvin out of town? Absurd. So the Giants are going to announce Bob Melvin, and they're going to spin a yarn to you because they have to make it look good to baseball and look good to the fans, but you're not going to buy it. When Bob Melvin answers the question, says, oh, it's been a very good 48 hours. I sat with them and I gained a level of comfort and I thought it was in the best interest to join this team and lead this team going forward. And together, we will all say, horse hockey. If you think that the San Francisco Giants sat down with Bob Melvin for the first time after they got permission from the Padres and then decided in a very short period of time, 48 hours, he's our guy, we're going to hire him, then you're not paying attention. The minute they asked permission to interview Bob Melvin was the minute after they knew they were hiring Bob Melvin and knew that San Diego was going to give permission. They have to make it look like they didn't violate MLB rules. The Giants couldn't look like they were tampering. The Padres couldn't look like they were getting rid of Melvin and pushing him out the door. Do you think when we got permission to interview uh, Ozzie Guillen, do you think that that just happened? We'd been talking to Reinsdorf about Ozzie Guillen for months during 2011. Our owner had told us we're hiring Ozzie Guillen. That was it. We negotiated a contract with Ozzie Guillen. There wasn't an interview process. It was a coronation. Didn't exactly work out. And Ozzie actually told us it wasn't going to work out. My bad. Ozzie Guillen, side note, Coca, he actually sat across the table from me and said, you're not offering me four years, are you? Meanwhile, our owner had said, we're giving him four years. I said, Ozzy, you know very well you're getting four years because Jeffrey said you're getting four years. And Ozzy said, I wouldn't give me four years. I said, Ozzy, you're just stealing money from Jeffrey. Why didn't you say, no, no, take, give me three. I don't need four. I don't think he knew we were going to fire him after one. But holy crikeys. I'm trying to think over 18 years, were we ever only paying one manager? I actually do not think there was a time when we were paying only one manager. I'll have to go back and think about it. So Bob Melvin will join the Giants today and he'll have a press conference and he'll talk about the excitement of joining a team, how a team in that division, he knows them well, come home by the bay when the lights go on. He and Steve Perry together are going to get it done. It all makes perfect sense. I want to hear from Preller. I want to hear that you took a franchise that had continuity where the manager was Bochi and Black. That's the Padres. For 20 years, two managers, Bruce Bochi, Bud Black. What do they have in common? Yeah, Bruce Bochi's still managing in the World Series. Bud Black still recherche by any team who wants to win. Hugely successful with the A's and then not successful with the Padres. Huh. He won with a team with a low payroll, goes to a team with tons of payroll, doesn't win. What did the Padres have that the A's didn't? Oh, let me think. A good front office. Since 2014, Preller's been the GM. I'm just going to read names if you don't mind. Bud Black, good one. Dave Roberts, one game, counts. 
You guys count Brandon Hyde as one of my managers. Pat Murphy, Andy Green, Rod Barajas. What do these have in common so far? Jace Tingler, baby. And then Bob Melvin. Those are all the managers the Prellers had. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing someone for having a bunch of managers because, hey, I live in a glass house. But I am asking, how is it that you keep the same GM and you keep the same type of manager? Green, Barajas, Tingler, and then Melvin? That was supposed to be the one that worked. Melvin was supposed to be the one who came with gravitas, with veteran presence. How come he didn't get along with Preller? Hmm, because Melvin maybe wanted his own say? Think he understood how to run a clubhouse? What the Padres do next is going to be fascinating because they've got payroll issues, they've got debt issues, they've got losing money issues, and they've got GM issues. And now they've got to go get a new manager. Just wait. It'll be some internal candidate and it'll be another first-time manager because Preller is going to say to Seidler, hey, look, we tried it your way. We brought in Melvin. Let's go back to my way, bringing in first-time guys who I've got holding like a puppet. Meanwhile, this morning, the Diamondbacks, you'd think are the happiest people in town because they're going to the World Series. The happiest person in the world, in the baseball world, is Bob Melvin. He got out. Now, of course, the Giants announced a huge announcement in a press conference today. Maybe they're announcing a naming rights deal. <laughs> Yesterday, we picked the Diamondbacks over the Phillies. Hope that you did that because that was plus money, Coca. That was a win. And then, side by side, I was watching the Lakers and the Nuggets. Not happy. Lakers plus five was not enough. I really thought, if you look at those rings, ring day, do you know, I don't have my ring with me. I, I'm wearing it on the set for CBS throughout the World Series now. I started wearing it during the game sevens just because I want everyone to realize that's what players are playing for. That's what the Rangers and D-backs are playing for. And since the ring of 03, a lot of the rings are big, gaudy, gaudy, gaudy. Do you have that with the word you can't say, Coca? Gaudy. Big look better on bigger guys than they do on a guy who's 65 inches. The Nuggets got their ring. I love when new rings get released. I study them and look at them. The Nuggets ring is really cool. They gave them out and I assumed there'd be some sort of ring fatigue, banner fatigue, and then I forgot to realize that it's Jokic and the Nuggets and they're really good. So I'm sorry about that pick. I don't see how the Nuggets and Jokic, unless he gets hurt, I do not see how they do not repeat. I just don't see it. What did I have? The Celtics over the Nuggets in the NBA Finals yesterday? Was that my prediction? Or was it Nuggets over the Celtics? I can't remember, Coca. Either way, let's go to tonight's pick. We're 154 and 154. We are going to take the Celtics giving a field goal to the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks have their opener. The Celtics come in with Holiday. Holiday, hey, it will be all right. Porzingis, Tatum, Brown, and they're smartless. And they're still better than the Knicks. The Celtics are better than just about anybody in the Eastern Conference. Maybe the Bucks can play with them, but not the Knicks. Very frustrating to start a season at the Garden, knowing you can't win. I wonder whether James Dolan will go to the U2 show tonight or go to the Nick game tonight because he could go one of two places. He's going to be reminded 
of Vegas when he looks at the court at Madison Square Garden in New York, the world's most famous arena. Yesterday it was announced that the Knicks got their jersey sponsor. It's the Sphere. Yes, the Sphere is owned by Dolan. He's paying himself. I love that. Do you know that when you've got partners, some of whom are public, some of whom are private, you have to sort of explain to them that you're not doing anything self-dealing because you have a fiduciary duty not to engage in self-dealing, which means that the sphere, quote unquote, has to pay market value to be on a jersey. And the reality is that the jersey sponsorship is like a $30 million deal in New York. It's huge. Do you think the sphere needs recognition as a jersey sponsor? What was Dolan thinking? The sphere has its own marketing and PR. Having it be on the jersey, we all know you own it, James. You don't need to put it on the Knicks jersey. I already gave you your props. It's the greatest arena I've ever been. The greatest experience I've ever had at a concert. But having it on the Knicks jerseys, get me a different stream of revenue. So my pick is Celtics three over the Knicks, and I've got one more pick. We're doing two basketball picks tonight. It's also the debut of Victor Wembayama. He's playing the Mavericks with Luka and Kyrie. And there is a great prop bet. And it is how many points Victor's going to score. And they've got the over-under at 17 and a half. We're going under. And we're laying 102 to win 100. This segment brought to you by, wait to see, Victor Wembayama under 17 and a half, Celtics minus three. So totally unrelated Something happened yesterday in the NFL, and I like talking about the NFL on this show. Jim Irsay is something. He gets a lot of oxygen on this show. He hasn't replaced Daniel Snyder. No one ever will. He hasn't replaced Jerry Jones. No one ever can. But Irsay is the guy who Goodell counts on to speak from time to time and then gets upset when he does. Irsay is the guy on social media, owner of the Indianapolis Colts. He's the collector of strange stuff. Sort of an eccentric guy. Give him his props, whatever he is, he is. Whoever he is, he is. Live and let live. Tolerance, that's me. But when you talk and when you tweet, I'm going to comment. When an owner wants to tweet like Steve Cohn, I'm not happy because I can't control it. He doesn't have to go through me or a spokesperson. He just has his fingers and the send button, the post button. And problems can happen. And when problems happen caused by the owner, self-inflicted, it's the president that has to deal with it. Well, Jim Irsay was at it again. Yesterday, he sent a tweet that is very, very bad. So, so bad. He tweeted, the NFL admits and understands that they did not make the correct calls at the end of Sunday's Colts-Browns game. I believe we need to institute instant replay for all calls, including penalties, in the last two minutes of all games. A couple comments about that. He's 100% Right. The calls at the end of the Colts-Browns games, I didn't get to it on yesterday's show or Monday's show, it was an outrage. The referees gave a pass interference call in the end zone that allowed the Browns to win the game on a pass that would not have been caught by Minute Bowl. No one could have caught it, and if a pass is not catchable, there's no penalty. It's sort of that easy. Just like if a ball's tipped, there's no such thing as interference because you can tack. Once it's tipped at the line of scrimmage, you can take down a receiver. 
the thing that Ursay did wrong is you're not allowed to say it. You can leak it, but don't attach your name to it. The fact that the NFL looks at all officiating is the same as Major League Baseball looking at all umpiring or the NFL or the NBA looking at all of its officiating. Of course they do. And there are reports about mistakes that are made by NBA officials, by NFL officials, and by MLB umpires. But those mistakes are supposed to be kept in-house. They are dealt with internally. There is a specific rule in the NFL that you are not allowed to publicize the results of these meetings, the results of which are when there are mistakes made on the field. The team gets called, the mea culpa, hey, we're sorry, we got that one wrong. And my answer always was, hey, Joe, yeah, you did get that wrong. Can we, can we appeal? Are you going to uphold our protest? Can we get rid of the L that we have attached to us? And the answer is no, no, no. Well, it's not really that big a help then. You're the owner of the cults. You don't feel better. It's not a moral victory. Hey, we got the call wrong. Sorry. Good luck. That doesn't feel right. But you're not allowed to publicize it. And Ursay did. And Ursay is going to get in trouble. The toughest part that Roger Goodell has to deal with with his new three-year, $200 million extension is that he has to do the owner's bidding, but he has to be consistent in how he treats certain owners because everybody's watching. He needs to have at least a modicum of credibility. And when you use Ursay to do certain things because of the way he is, that he becomes the perfect pass-through for certain messages, you can't not discipline him when he goes too far. It's sort of like riling up your kids before bedtime and then yelling at them because they can't fall asleep or giving them a pound of sugar or ice cream right before bedtime and saying, huh, why isn't Goodnight Moon working tonight? It's your fault. You self-inflicted. Goodell created Ursay, and now he's going to have to do something to have him taken down a notch. It is a very bad look what Ursay did, and he's going to get fined for his actions. The way Adam Silver finds Mark Cuban. The way Major League Baseball would like to find certain people who tweet or who speak publicly. I'll give you a way to see, and it's official, which means we'll revisit it. We keep track of it. It's on a document that's on davidsampsonpodcast.com. Jim Ursay will get fined by the NFL for the tweet that he sent, it, giving you that's so sloppy, Coca. Here we go. Ready? Wipe it. One second, please. Four eight sixty nine. Wait to see. Jim Ursay will get fined by the NFL because the NFL cannot have owners publicly acknowledging the mistakes that everyone saw happen, agrees happens, and would like not to happen. Should there be replay in the last two minutes? You bet you're bippy. But will Ursay get fined? Indeed he will. Wait to see. That's it for the show. We'll be back tomorrow live 8 a.m. on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. In the meantime, it's just business. This is Nothing Personal.